If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 25 today. In William Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, the plot revolves around a bunch of prominent Romans who plan to assassinate Caesar. And then they have to deal with the after effects after his murder. And one of Caesar's trusted friends, a man who claimed to love Caesar as a ruler, was a man named Brutus. Brutus was very well respected, and was considered to be a a very honorable man. Brutus had a close relationship with Julius Caesar, but he was deeply concerned with the amount of power that Caesar had and was concerned about Caesar's ambition. He feared that Caesar would become a, a dictator and that the Roman Senate would be completely destroyed. So Brutus allied himself with the men who plotted Caesar's assassination, and he was one of the men who helped stab Caesar to death. While Caesar was being killed, some of his last words were directed towards Brutus as he looked at those who were killing him, and he said, Even you, Brutus. Some of the worst pain that Caesar felt was not just the physical pain of being stabbed, but the emotional pain of seeing someone that he was close to, someone he loved, betray him. All of us hurt when people say and and do bad things to us, but that hurt is multiplied if a person hurting us was supposed to be our friend. Betrayal is one of the most painful things that we can experience in this life. Betraying someone is also a terrible sin as it involves being incredibly deceitful. It involves pretending that you are loyal to someone and then purposely doing things to harm them. Brutus is infamous for his betrayal of Caesar, but he is not the most infamous betrayer. That award goes to the man that we are going to study today. The worst betrayer in all of human history. Judas Iscariot. And the reason why Judas is considered to be the worst betrayer is because of who he was disloyal and unfaithful to. Judas betrayed the perfect son of God. But as we examine Judas' plan to betray Jesus... And Jesus' prophecy about this betrayer, we are going to learn more about Christ's sovereignty overall, more about the deceitfulness of sin, and more about the danger of turning away from Jesus Christ. By examining this betrayer, we are going to learn truth that can change our lives. So please look with me at Matthew 26. 
verses 14 through 25. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Lord God, I ask that as we come to this very sobering passage that you would help us as we examine these these verses. That you'd help us to to see not only what these verses mean, but how they affect us, how they change us. I ask, Lord God, that you give us focus and that you'd give us clarity. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, we saw Jesus again foretelling his upcoming death on the cross, as well as the plotting of the Jewish leaders as they schemed to use their civil authority to execute Jesus. And in contrast to the wicked leader's plot to murder Jesus, we saw a woman who gave up probably her most valuable possession as she lovingly poured expensive ointment onto Jesus, giving him honor as she worshipped him and prepared his body for death. Now we're going to see another stunning contrast to the woman's loving devotion to Jesus as one of those closest to Jesus takes steps to betray him. If you'd like to better follow along in our sermon today, there's an outline of our sermon on the back of your bulletin. And we're going to start things off by looking at Judas's plan for the betrayal. Judas's plan for the betrayal. Again, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 
The only time that Judas has been mentioned so far in this book is in chapter 10, where we see a list of the 12 disciples. And the only thing that is mentioned about Judas in that list was that he was going to betray Jesus. So everyone reading this book would be aware of the corrupt character of this disciple and what he would eventually do. And in this passage, we see him beginning his act of betrayal. The first words of verse 14 emphasize the fact that Judas was one of the twelve, meaning he was one of Jesus' specially chosen twelve disciples. These men received more theological teaching, more instruction on ministry, and more examples of how to apply truth than anyone else at that time. They were chosen to receive more learning than others so that they could be leaders in the global church that Jesus was setting up. Judas had some of the highest privileges that this world has ever seen. He was chosen to be a close companion of Jesus Christ. He constantly heard the world's best preacher, the world's best teacher. He was an eyewitness to the greatest miracles that this world has ever seen. And he got to interact with the perfect Son, God. And yet, Judas still chose betray Jesus. And this choice to be unfaithful to his master, to deliver up the Lord to death, was not a decision that he was pressured into making. It was not something that he was tricked into, and it wasn't something that he accidentally fell into. No, verses 14 and 15 says that Judas went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me? if I deliver him over to you. Judas took the initiative to go to the enemies of Christ. Judas's betrayal was a planned out, intentional decision. Now the Bible does not give us all the specifics to Judas's motivations. It does not tell us all the details of why Judas betrayed Jesus. Some speculate that Judas was disappointed that that Jesus had not begun to take over Israel as an earthly political ruler. That Judas was upset that, that Jesus had not turned into the civil and military leader that Judas thought Jesus was supposed to be. That's possible, but speculation. The only motivation that the Bible gives us for Judas's betrayal is revealed in Judas's question to the chief priests. What will you give me if I deliver him up to you? Whatever motivations Judas might have had, we know that greed was one of them. Judas was a lover of money. He was obsessed with earthly things. So he asked the enemies of Christ what they would give him if he betrayed Jesus. 
and the chief priests were willing to satisfy Judas's greed. As the end of verse 15 says, and they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Now we don't know exactly how much money that was in ancient times, but it had to be a decent amount of money because in Matthew 27 it says that it was enough to buy a whole field. And these 30 pieces of silver were also enough to buy the loyalty of Judas. As verse 16 says, And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. But this horrid betrayal by someone who was so close to Jesus was not a surprise to the Christ. We see that in our next point. Jesus' prophecy of the betrayal. We're going to divide Jesus' prophecy of the betrayal in verses 17 to 25 into two sections. The place and the prediction. The place is seen in verses 17 through 19. Which says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. The feast of unleavened bread and the Passover are intricately connected. And we're meant to remind Israel of God's protection and his deliverance of his people in Egypt. The book of Exodus describes Israel's slavery in Egypt and how God used ten plagues to show forth his glory and his power and to deliver the Israelites from captivity. And Exodus 12 describes the the final plague where God promised to kill the firstborn of every male in every household. But God promised to pass over the Israelites to spare their lives if they sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on their doorpost. God kept his promise, sparing their lives because of the sacrificial lambs and delivering them from their bondage in Egypt. And God commanded the Israelites to remember these these events with a one-day celebration of the Passover, which was immediately followed by the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread. And these memorial events were, were so closely connected that they were often looked on as the same feast. They were important events in the life of Israel, and Jesus and his 12 disciples were in Jerusalem with Thousands of Jews from across the land who came to Jerusalem in order to celebrate these events. And since things were so crowded in Jerusalem, and since the disciples and Jesus didn't live in that area, they needed to find a place to partake of the Passover. Which is why verse 17 says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Well, Jesus had made a plan. And said in verse 18, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, 
The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Now the text does not say whether Jesus had arranged things with this man ahead of time or if this, if this was a, a divine moment where the man had no idea that Jesus was going to come to his place and his disciples just showed up. But either way, Jesus already had things planned out. He was in control of the situation. And in his instructions to his disciples, he gave another indication that his sacrificial death was about to occur, saying, my time is at hand. Jesus' time had come. His main mission was about to be fulfilled. He came to save his people from their sins and his upcoming sacrificial death was now at hand. Well, verse 19 says that the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. The disciples did what was necessary to get the food and the house prepared for the Passover. They, they were about to celebrate how God saved his people from physical death through the sacrifice of lambs. And how God delivered his people from their slavery in Egypt. And that Passover celebration would point forward to a much greater event. An event that was close at hand, where God would save his people from eternal death through the sacrifice of his son, and how God would deliver his people from their bondage of their slavery and sin. But the road to Jesus' sacrifice would start with a betrayal. The betrayal that Jesus would prophesy about at this Passover celebration. Which leads us to the prediction. The prediction which is seen in verses 20 through 25. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. In the evening, Jesus and his twelve disciples reclined at the table to eat the Passover meal. But this meal turned out to be anything but normal as Jesus shocked his disciples by saying, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. This statement would have stunned the twelve. These were Jesus' closest confidants. These were his, his, his best 
friends. These were his eager students, his ministry partners. They had done life together for several years, and Jesus had been giving them exclusive training to get them ready to lead. And one of these men was going to betray Jesus. Verse 22 says that the disciples were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? The disciples were deeply grieved. They were greatly distressed. And instead of, of, of immediately trying to accuse someone else, they asked, Is it I, Lord? One of them was secretly disloyal. One of them would treacherously deliver up Jesus to his enemies. And they wanted Jesus to confirm that they were not the turncoat. They each wanted Jesus to assure them that they would not betray him. Jesus responded to their question in verse 23. He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now, this was not a direct answer to their question, but re-emphasized that this was going to be one of his close companions. In New Testament times, it was the common practice to have a, a large tray full of food that everyone helped themselves to on the table. And a sauce that was opened for all to dip their food into. And in Eastern culture, Eating together was an outward sign of friendship. Sharing a, a meal established an intimate bond of fellowship. So Jesus was again showing that the betrayal would indeed be brought about by someone who was close to him. Someone who was at that very table. And this betrayal that Jesus was now predicting would result in the scriptures being fulfilled and the betrayal, betrayer facing eternal judgment. As verse 24 says, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. As we saw last week, the phrase Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself, as it showed both his humanity and also because it's a, a quote from the prophecy in Daniel 7 about the promised eternal king, it also showed his deity, that he was God. And Jesus, the promised divine king, was going to his destiny, Jesus being delivered into the hands of his enemies was all fulfilling what had been written in the Old Testament scriptures. Passages like Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12, and Psalm 41 were beginning to be fulfilled. This betrayal was not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen and was letting things develop just as they were planned. Jesus' prophecy about his betrayer showed again 
that he was in complete control of the situation. Jesus would not be delivered up to die against his will. No. Jesus was voluntarily going to die for our sins. This was his plan to save his people from their sins. He would be betrayed, but that betrayal would lead to his mission being accomplished. But this does not mean that the traitor was off the hook. God is sovereign over the universe, but people are still responsible for their actions. And the one who would betray Jesus would face judgment for these evil actions. For Jesus said of the betrayer, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Non-existence would have been better than what Judas was going to experience. His punishment would be so severe that it would have been more preferable for Jesus if he had never entered into this world. Judas was headed towards hell. Judas was headed towards eternal punishment for his wicked actions. And Jesus revealed this truth very pointedly to Judas. In verse 25, Judas asked, Is it I, Rabbi? Everyone else was asking that question, so it was necessary for Judas to ask that question to fit in so that no one would be suspicious of him. But he did not ask the same way. As he called Jesus Rabbi, rather than Lord, like the rest of the disciples. On the eve of his wicked betrayal, he could only refer to Jesus as a teacher and not as his master. And Jesus responded to the question by saying, You have said so. Meaning, you said it yourself. Now, there is no indication from Matthew or the other three gospel accounts that the other disciples heard or, or, or recognized what Jesus said to Judas. They all still seem to be in the dark. But Jesus' words would have shown Judas that Jesus knew he was the traitor. Judas now saw that he was exposed, that Jesus knew his evil secret, that he had been unmasked. But even this exposure was not enough to turn Judas from his wicked plan. He was so hardened in his sin. And when his betrayal was laid bare, it just pushed him to act immediately. And the next time we see Judas, we will see him delivering Jesus straight into the arms of his enemies. Judas's betrayal was known. It was prophesied. It was written about. 
And Judas was completely unwilling to repent. As we come to the end of this passage today, I want us to look at three of the ways these truths should affect us this week. Three implications of all we just studied. Number one, remember that Christ is in control. Remember that Christ is in control. Jesus Christ was not surprised, was not confused, was not ignorant about Judas' betrayal. He was prepared for it because it was all part of his plan. Christ was not passive in the events that unfolded around him. He was always active. Jesus was about to have one of his closest friends hand him over to his enemies, and yet he was still in complete control. Son of man is not just sovereign over the good things that happen in this life. He is also in control of the bad. This world is not pure chaos. The eternal king is still on his throne and everything is going precisely according to his plan. Remember that as you walk through this upcoming week. Number two, worship worship the Christ not the creation. Worship the Christ, not the creation. As we think about this passage, we need to remember that the book of Matthew is not a random collection of stories about Jesus. The Bible is clear in 2 Timothy 3 and in 2 Peter 1 that the scriptures come straight from the mouth of God. That men are controlled by the Holy Spirit to write out exactly what God wants. And that all scripture is written with the specific purpose to transform believers. So the book of Matthew was not thrown together haphazardly. And it is not only some human remembered historical accounts about Jesus. Matthew is a theological biography of Jesus Christ. It is biographical, but its biographical account is not just meant to make us intellectually more informed. Instead, this historical biographical account is meant to change our lives with truth. Matthew is a highly organized book, as the Creator God carefully arranged all of these passages so that the divine, life-transforming truth would be perfectly communicated. So before we move on, we need to ask ourselves the question, why did God put this passage right here? Well, remember what we just studied last week. In the passage right before this, we saw a woman take an extremely expensive ointment and pour it onto Jesus. She took probably her most valued possession and she gave it to Jesus. She used her earthly wealth to worship 
and honor Christ. And right after that, that wonderful display of devotion to Jesus, we see Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew is contrasting two people. A woman who gave up her possessions to honor Christ and a man who took money to betray Christ. A woman who gave up the things of this world to worship Christ and a man who gave up Christ to worship the things of this world. The woman loved Christ and the man loved money. The woman honored the creator and the man honored the creation. What is most valuable to you? What do you think about the most? What do you want more than anything else in this world? These passages teach us the importance of worshiping the creator rather than the creation. And finally, number three, beware of walking away from Christ. Beware of walking away from Christ. Judas shows us that people can be inside the circle of believers, can hear the word of God, can be involved in ministry, can be well thought of by others, and yet walk away from Christ. Judas is the preeminent example of an apostate of someone who had outwardly followed Jesus but was shown to have a rotten heart. And because of his unrepentant rejection of the Savior, he would be eternally rejected by God. Now, I believe the book of Matthew and the rest of the Bible is clear that a true believer will never lose their salvation. They will never walk completely away from Christ. They will never do what Judas did. In Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says to believers, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God started the salvation of his people and he secures their salvation to the very end and he will never let them completely abandon him. But God uses means to accomplish his ends. He uses the truth to keep his people saved. And I believe that this passage is one of the truths that can either harden your heart like Judas or can be used by God to keep you in the faith. Over the last decade, I have lived in 
California, in Missouri, and in Ohio. And in the last few years, I have seen close friends from all three of those states walk away from Jesus. One friend I used to read Christian books with, spending hours discussing different doctrines from the Bible. Another friend used to go with me to a college campus where we would evangelize dozens of college students together. I was a groomsman at his wedding, and I saw him go to seminary and right straight into pastoral ministry. Another was a deacon at the church I was a member of. He was a leader in our community and had often drove me to church when I didn't have a car. Another one seemed to have a, a major transformation in his life, and I had personally discipled him, helping him to memorize scripture, learn the Bible, and apply the truth to his life. And yet another friend I had known since I was a teenager. I had been saved not long before he claimed to be saved. We had spent countless hours at, at restaurants and, and at, at apartments and over the phone discussing God's word, applying God's truth to our situations and praying together. And I had seen him involved in ministry to the poor and ministry to unbelievers. He had been a major encouragement in my life. All of these men claimed to be believers. All of these men seemed to be believers. And yet, all of these men walked away from the Savior. And like Judas, if those men continue to reject Jesus and refuse to repent, they will be eternally condemned. Don't let that be you. Jesus Christ came to earth to accomplish his salvation mission to carry out the plan that had been in place before time began. And Jesus lived a perfect life, died to pay for our sins, and rose from the dead. And all who truly trust in him alone as their Savior and Lord will be saved from eternal death and will be delivered from their slavery to sin. Don't walk away from that truth. Continue to believe. Continue to, to run to Jesus as your Savior, as your Redeemer, as your King. Don't abandon the Savior. Lord God, I thank you for this passage, God. God, this is a hard passage. a very sobering one. And I ask that it would sober us. It would help us to examine our hearts, our motivations. That would first off, God, push us to continue to follow you, 
to know that that people can be deceived and that people can walk away. Help us to continue to run to you as our Savior and Lord. Help us to continue to have faith. We thank you that you secure your people, God. We thank you that you work in your people so that they do not abandon you. And I ask, God, that you'd help all of us to examine our hearts as we live our lives, that we would not be worshipers of creation, that our focus and intention, all of our attention in life would not just be focused on our job or our hobbies or our family or food or comfort or anything else, but that our, our primary, our main focus in life would be you, that we would worship you above all that you are worth it. And I ask God that we would trust you, knowing that you have had a plan from the beginning of time and that you will carry out your plan. That this world is, is not in chaos. That just as, as the death and the betrayal and the sacrifice of Christ was all predetermined to take place, just as no king can overcome you, as, as Dan read earlier today, just as, as you are sovereign in the past, you are sovereign in the future. And I ask that we would trust you in the midst of every circumstance that we come into. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.